0: And I don't have slides, so I was just a little ahead, and I felt really good. (laughs) It was a big moment for me. But today we are looking at a totally different set of passages, but still in the book of 1 Peter. So today we are looking at 2, 13 to 25 are the verses. And it's one of the hardest passages I've ever had to preach on. So if you've been around church life before, generally the youth pastor is the one that preaches the shortest amount of time, because we work with teens whose attention span is like four and a half minutes. Um, But this is the first time ever that I was like, I'm going to be so over time. So aren't you all excited you came today? (laughs) Don't worry, I cut a bunch out. But there was about like a thousand things that I wanted to say, and then so many pieces that I still was like, well, this is so hard to understand because I have an earthly mind and view on all of this. But I'm going to read the passage so that we can all be on the same page of confusion this morning. So starting in verse 13. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So for some of us, when it comes to submitting to the authority of human leadership in our world, it's never really been a big issue that we've had to think about. And for some, it's been a significant challenge. It just kind of depends on your worldview. But in the last two years, I would guess that no matter what side we fall on of that usual curve, we've thought about this a little bit more. And when there are things that are hard to understand in the Bible, I've learned that it's always my own brokenness that makes it confusing. So our sinful nature as humans is why we struggle to navigate this stuff, not because God is unclear. So in a world full of perfect people, this would all be really easy. But unfortunately, none of us are perfect. And to level the playing field this morning, if you're feeling really good, I'm going to collectively call us all out. So here's the deal. If you can say that you have never exceeded the speed limit of 80 kilometers an hour on 50th Street where it's twinned, you have permission to stop listening today. You can just go grab a coffee. I don't even think it's ready yet, because I didn't think any of you would make that call. Uh, but I mean 80 on the dot, not 81, not 82, not 96. I mean 80 every single time you drive it. I see that we're all sitting very nicely. So a simple example but speed limits are one way that we probably all have struggled to submit to the human authority of the land before especially the playground zones but god is working on this with me through gentle encouragement of photo enforcement <laughs> but sometimes we fail to submit to the authority because it can seem almost unclear of what's being asked because we're just people one of the best examples from my own life of submitting to the authority of my parents without a clear understanding comes from when I was in grade 11. So I was at youth group here at Eaglemont and afterwards, a big group of us wanted to hang out. So Pastor Marlowe and Miriam graciously opened their home to about 15 or so students. And when I called my mom to say what I was doing, and I quote, her words were, that sounds great, be home whenever. Awesome. So, I have always submitted to the curfew I was given, but on this day, my usual curfew had been moved to this magical realm of whenever. So, I was so confused when I got a phone call at 3.30 in the morning from my mom, who was so concerned that I had like died or something, that I said, you said be home whenever. And, I mean, my mom probably figured I'd have a little more wisdom than that, but I was 16. So, human error sometimes causes us to miss the mark on submission. And a helpful tip to all parents of teens, don't use the word whenever, because it really does mean whenever. So on a basic level, submitting is necessary for us. If we submit to the government, we will avoid punishment and live a stable and secure life. If we submit to the speed limit, we can save ourselves about $140 each time. And yet this is not the reason that we are commanded to submit in the Bible we are to submit to show who God is. When we submit to the government, we are being a model citizen or a good testimony. Our obedience reflects on God and brings him glory. So we are to do good to all people, even if we don't agree with them or if they are considered our enemies. We are to go out of our way to treat all people with respect and kindness. And what Peter gives us is a general overarching command to be model citizens and to do good to all people. But he keeps using this word, doing good. So the Greek word used in 1 Peter for doing good actually means to go over and above what is expected. So based on this, simply obeying the law is actually not enough, it's the minimum. It means good works beyond what is normally expected in a given situation. So the reason that the authorities would take notice and praise us and in turn praise God for our good works is because we went over and above. And we are commanded to submit to every human institution. And this is an important part to note because that refers to all authorities that God has placed over us. So every human institution means parents and children, coaches and players, police and citizens, teachers and students, employers, employees, the list could go on. But one of the biggest pushbacks to this passage is the common argument, but what if the government in my country is bad? I have some good news. All governments are bad. And that's because every person is a sinner. And every government has its own weaknesses and shortcomings. But as bad as they are, the world would be a much more wicked place with no human governments at all. In researching for this message, one author said, God understands that even a bad ruler is better than no ruler at all, because then there would be total anarchy. And so it should be noted that many times, God gives us the leaders that we deserve. So with King Saul in the Old Testament, the people had rejected God and asked specifically for a leader just like the other nations had. So God said, okay. And he gave them an oppressive king in order to humble them and to teach them that they should submit to God. And we should also know that in 1 Peter, the context for leadership was actually the wicked King Nero. So Nero used Christians as human torches to light the streets. So Peter wasn't saying this flippantly. God didn't place us here to overthrow human government. He placed us here to establish in our hearts a kingdom not of this world. And as long as the government doesn't require us to sin against God, The Bible instructs us to submit to the governing authorities, whether we like it or not. And by submitting to them, we honor God by obeying his word. The Bible teaches that we are to submit to the governing authorities because that's what we're commanded to do, unless we are being commanded to do something that the Bible forbids, or we are forbidden to do something that the Bible commands. The broad purpose for which God ordains human government is to promote societal good, But even when the government fails to live up to God's purpose for it, we are still to obey it. Unless, of course, that commands us to violate God's will. And this is because Christians have been set free through God. So Peter says, don't use your freedom to sin, but to refrain from sinning. So Peter gives us a really nice summary of the four big social obligations that we should have. And that is, honor all people love the brotherhood as some translations have it, fear God, and honor the king. So we are called to honor all people because they are God's image bearers. We love the Christian family by anticipating needs and trying to meet them as we best can. And our primary responsibility to God is to fear him or to revere him. And then Peter added this fourth obligation because he knew that his readers were finding it very difficult to honor someone as evil as the King Nero. So Peter says, yes, you are to honor him too by treating him with respect. There is a way to submit to the human authorities in our lives without having to compromise our faith to God. Actually, Jesus is really clear about this in Mark 12, 13 to 17. So the story is about um, the Pharisees and Herodians who were trying to catch Jesus in his own words. So they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now the two groups were bitter enemies, but they joined that day to see if they could trap Jesus They were trying to see if he was going to be loyal to God or loyal to Caesar. If his answer was, yes, pay the tax, then he would have ended up angering all the Jews who refused to pay. But if he said, okay, uh, or don't pay your taxes, then it would have angered the government who felt that the taxes were due. But Jesus didn't fall for the trap. Instead, he answered, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. In a sentence, Jesus submitted to the authority of the Roman government without compromising that God is his ultimate authority. The answer stunned the Pharisees and the Herodians. We can obey the government without compromising our trust in God, and our obligations to church and state are not necessarily in conflict. Simply put, Peter commands God's people to civil obedience, and that is not the current culture today. Civil disobedience is what's popular. Rebellion is cool. And I don't mean making changes to a current system that promotes inequality, but it's the purposeful disobedience because of the attitude, well, no one can tell me what to do. Adapting, making it work, submitting, contributing to the solution, that's not cool today. It's cancel things and move on especially in this country where we get to do as we please for a lot of it, and we're not really accountable to anyone besides ourselves in this culture. Submission is being misused as a sign that we've given up. We've handed over our freedoms, our liberties are gone. But it's a distinctly Christian principle to submit. Knowing who God was and what he came to do, Jesus submitted himself to others, and he's our example. So how do we get there? Well, God gives us three truths to help in this passage. David Macklemore explains them like this He says, Our motivation should be for the Lord's sake. Our secure foundation of what we build our lives on should be the will of God. And the great advantage that we have today as Christians is to live as people who are free. So, for the Lord's sake, it's verse 13 and 14 which say, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. When we have a personal relationship with God, we actually get dual citizenship. So we're citizens of both heaven and earth at the same time. And we have a responsibility to live well here as a witness to God. And we are God's ambassadors here on earth. And we should take that responsibility seriously the key phrase that sets the tone for this entire passage is found right after those words in verse 13 for the Lord's sake. A call to submission is grounded in the privilege of doing it for the Lord. A well known pastor named John Piper explained it well. He said Christians do not submit to human institutions simply because they feel like it, or because they have a compliant personality, or because the institutions have coercive powers. We do not look first at ourselves to see what we feel like doing, nor do we look first at the institution to see if there's consequences for not submitting. First, we look to God and we submit for his sake. So God must have known that we would need this in 2022, because I don't think this could be more relevant to our day. How do we act in relation to the government and say something about the God we serve and how we submit? And what do you think that the world hears from Christians when we look at politics today? Um, One of the examples that I think of is early 2021 with the Capitol building that happened, the storming that happened in the States. And there were people who were claiming that it was in the name of God as they constructed nooses outside while offering prayers inside. And I don't think that's what Peter had in mind. Because that's not for the Lord's sake, and it doesn't really show God's character at all. Of course, that's an extreme example. But most of our issues and objections to the government authority They don't cause riots or invasions or storming government buildings. They're far more subtle. They look like Facebook posts and unkind words to others. And it's not hard to find reasons to not submit to the government. But if we find it difficult to live this passage out in our day, let's again remember the context in which Peter wrote this. Those days of Peter were not easy men to respect who were in power. There was Nero. And we talked about him already, the Roman emperor who led persecution against Christians. There was Pontius Pilate. I even Googled that, and I still can't do it because it looks too different. Um, He handed Jesus over to be crucified. There was Felix who imprisoned Paul. So Peter wrote this in a very difficult circumstance under very difficult-to-submit leaders. And he didn't call for a cultural war. He called us to cooperate to positively contribute to the world of civic duty and responsibility. Because it's not for the sake of the political leaders, good or bad. It's not for our own sake. It's not even for the sake of our fellow Christians. It's for the sake of the Lord. That should be our motivation. And the Lord is asking us to do this, so how can we deny Him? Colossians 3, to 24 says... Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only with their eye is on you and curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if you are working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. This is the same attitude we should have in our submission. It is for the Lord's sake." Macklemore's second truth is our secure foundation should be built on the will of God. Submitting to the government is not a step outside of Christianity. It's a step inside of God's will. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put silence to the ignorance of foolish people. In the time that Peter wrote this, Christians had a really bad reputation. And today it seems that Christianity is increasingly becoming less popular by our culture. So how do we show God in the midst of that? We show the world that we have a higher authority and that he actually doesn't stand against this world at all costs, but instead he came into this world to save it. This world is full of people looking to take as much as they can, but God has called us to be countercultural and look to give as much as we can for Jesus' sake. Submitting to the governing authorities isn't opposed to our faith, but it's part of it. It's God's will. We have here a general truth, Christians should submit and obey in most situations in relations to governing authorities, with of course the exception being when it forbids us from doing the will of God. So what do we do for submission? We pray for them. We speak well of them as best we can. In a word, we love them even if they don't love us. And the reason why is because that is the will of God. McLemore writes, if we throw ourselves into the good things of politics with an overwhelmingly positive voice of submission to authority and willingness to come alongside as peacemakers with the message of the love of Christ, we confound the accusers of the church and God's name is honored. The third truth is that we are able to live like we're free when we know Jesus. We have an advantage that people who don't know Christ don't. We can live because we are free. Non-Christians don't have that kind of freedom because they have to live for the approval of man, but we have the approval of God. They live in fear because their life exists here and here alone, but when we know the truth of Jesus, we get to live for something greater. For those who know God, we know that God created us and put us in this world and gave us the Bible with lessons on how to live our best life. And a lot of people see the Bible as restrictive. They think, well, who would want to live like that? the truth is that God's word has direction, but it actually gives us the ultimate freedom. When we operate inside of his commands, we are free from uncontrollable emotions and desires. We're free from the fear of circumstance. We are free to serve, to love, to submit, and to obey, and to do a thousand good things that we can't do ourselves alone. In the Bible is where we find the will of God for our lives, and even in difficult passages like this. And when we know we're operating inside of God's will, we're the freest people on the planet. God gives, sorry, Peter gives us a beautiful summary of this passage in verse 17 with four commands, honor everyone, love the church family, fear God, and honor the emperor. He's asking us to honor everyone, to speak well of them without selfish motive, to treat them with dignity and respect because we are all created in God's image. Honor is one of the ways that we love one another. When we treat everyone with the dignity that God has placed on them, we get to experience the presence of his spirit. But notice what Peter says about God and the emperor. And this is a very important distinction to make. Fear God and honor the emperor. And I want to just focus on this quickly. The call to fear God is placed in contrast to honoring the emperor. The emperor is to be shown respect due to his office, but he's not to be feared. God alone is to be feared. Now, the term fear God is confusing when we simultaneously talk about him in the sense of being a good father and having a personal relationship, because that isn't always the relationship we think of when we think of a father and a child. But what fearing God means is absolute reverence and awe to his power and holiness that he holds. We fear to cause him sorrow or grief, knowing how horrible sin is, what the cost of sin was, And how much God hates it and how much it hurts him when we sin. Honoring the Emperor is showing respect for the authority placed above us and praying for them. And not only are we to fear God as he is the ultimate authority, but we know his word is the ultimate authority as well. Because we know where that ultimate authority lies, no matter how powerful the government is, we know their power is only a splinter compared to the forest that is God. So we can honor them, but we don't need to fear them. Uh, They have a lot to say in our lives, but they don't have the ultimate say. This leaves room for civil disobedience when it's needed. Uh, When the government asks you to do something that God forbids, you are to obey God, not the government. But Peter's words are not an easy way out of suffering in this life. And if submission to the government would relieve the church of suffering, wouldn't that be nice? But it's actually a beacon of hope to a suffering world. Through God, we are given a power that the world does not have. We have a freedom that the world does not. We can live in some less than ideal circumstances and not lose hope because our hope is found in Christ alone. We are not imprisoned by our own security because in this world, there really isn't any. We look beyond this world to God and we find our security in him, given to us freely by what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus. So as we close in prayer today, I'm just going to say a prayer that if you want to live a life that is centered on Jesus, you can follow along with me. And at the end, if you've chosen to pray that, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you and help you find some really great resources that can help move you forward on that journey. So please scan the QR code that will be on the screen at the end. Um, At the end of that prayer, I'm going to pray for us all as we wrap up. So please bow your heads with me. God, today... We just thank you for what you did on that cross. Today, God, we acknowledge that you are the ultimate authority and that there is nothing on this earth that compares to who you are and what you have done for us. So, God, we pray that our sin that keeps us from obeying and submitting to you is gone. And, God, we pray that we can live that good testimony and live as people who love you first and show your goodness all around us. So God, today we pray that you come into our hearts, you cleanse us of our sin, and you make us new people with a new passion and a new hope for sharing how amazing you are with others. Thank you, God. And God, today as we close, I just pray over this church. I thank you for each one of them that is here today. And I thank you for passages like this that are so challenging. In a world where things aren't fair, things aren't just, we know that you are the righteous judge. And we can submit and obey here on earth because we know in the end justice is served beautifully through who you are. So God, today I pray that our hearts are softened towards those in leadership over us. God, I pray that we can go into this week with a new excitement for praying for those above us. And God, we thank you for our world leaders. And we pray that they come to know your love and your joy, God. In your name, amen.